have got Simon Wilson here and we're going to have a discussion about freedom of speech. The reason I asked Simon to come on the podcast is I heard Simon debate Don Brash and uh, the head of the Conservative Party, whose name I can't remember. It's deputy head. Deputy head, <laughs> yes. okay. Um, what was his name? I can't remember. Yes, either. yeah, well, I'm hoping to have him on as well at some stage. Um, and that was a debate about freedom of speech in um, end of 2018, uh, just after Don Brash had been deplatformed from Massey University down in Palmerston North here in little old New Zealand. So first of all, um, I'll just get Simon to briefly say, um, you know, what, where, where he's come from, what, what, he's, what he does, and um, yeah, Simon, over okay. to you. So I'm a journalist. Um, I uh, am a senior writer at The Herald, have been there since the start of last year. Uh, I write about uh, political issues, uh, local political issues, as well as um, central government. Um, also the environment, I have a particular interest in transport, housing and other uh, city building uh, matters, waterfront, those sorts of things. Um, and because I write across a kind of broad brief, um, I am interested in philosophical and political philosophical issues and, and, and um, as a journalist who engages in, in right. issues, of course I'm interested in uh, uh, the, the, the political maelstrom that has, has surrounded um, not just free speech, but the larger question of how we conduct our democratic debates and how democracy operates in this country and internationally. Um, I write a column, I, I write features and so on, but I also write a column in the Herald every Friday, you know, which has a pretty open brief, and I have used that to write about uh, the free speech issue. Right. Can you describe what free speech is? Um, well, I guess I could come at that in a couple of ways. Um, uh, free speech is uh, is a democratic principle uh, which recognises uh, that when we have a free and frank exchange of ideas, uh, in general, that uh, helps create a robust society uh, where uh, people have opportunity, uh, where people, vulnerable people, are uh, defended, um, and where. Uh, uh, we can progress, uh, if you like, as a society. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that free speech has become a, uh, a slogan of a, of a political movement in the world. Uh, it's caught on in this country, uh, and in my view, has come to mean something quite different from what we used to think of it as. And what's that? Well, I think free speech has become uh, a slogan used by people who fear that the world is changing in ways that they don't appreciate. Not that it's changing... Uh, in ways that are necessarily undemocratic, um, but in ways that mean that um, uh, the traditional authority figures uh, have less respect, are listened to less, um, and are given uh, less, uh, are given less, uh, there's less call on, on, on their interests and their time than there used to be. And I think Don Brash is actually a very good example. Right. You know, a man who was used to you know, everybody falling quiet and listening whenever he opened his mouth. You know, finds that people don't want to hear from him anymore. Right. He thinks it's a free speech issue. In my view, um, it's much more fundamentally a question of, uh, well, actually, there are other voices that people want to hear. So um, is, are there limits to free speech? Oh, of course. But what, what, as, a, as a journalist, how do you...? Yeah, I mean, the obvious... There's an easy place to start with that. You can't run into a cinema and shout fire. Yeah. You, know, you should be arrested for that. Um, it's a really, that's a really serious crime, mm. in my view, panicking people. And if you look at the underlying principle there, to create fear and panic um, through speech, 
uh, is something that society has to have a, an, an attitude to. We don't have a First Amendment in, in, to the Constitution the way America has that allows you to say anything or pretty much anything in any context. And in this country, uh, we have what I would regard as a more uh, considered, uh, a more sophisticated view uh, of what free speech is. Um, and in the current climate, um, you, what, you, you, it becomes important to say, well, what are the, what are the other ways in which um, shouting fire metaphorically um, uh, becomes damaging and harmful? You know? And you can see that if you're uh, talking about incitements to hatred, um, if you're talking about the uh, destruction of the humanity of, of other people, you know, the diminishment of huma the humanity of other people, so that you're encouraging groups in society to see those others as less than human, you know, that, those things become very dangerous. So you're, you're actually saying that there are quite clear limits to free speech. I don't think yeah. they're clear. I, 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 th I think I, the actual ability to, to define a line yeah. is extremely difficult. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it's clear, the extreme is clear, um, but where the line is, and that's, that's what democracy is, you know, how you define the line of what's responsible and what's acceptable. Changes over time, changes in different parts of society, um, and it's always very, very difficult. Uh, it's one of the reasons why any legislative approach to free speech is always fraught with problems, because if you want to strip away um, as much of the old-fashioned cultural baggage, I mean, we've just got rid of our blasphemy laws, <laughs> for example, which hadn't been used for right. a hundred years, you know, yeah. but we've only just taken them off the statute box. And if you want to actually apply a kind of more secular and impartial approach to free speech, it's, it's really, really difficult to know how, how to define it, um, you know, which is why we have we, we don't have the police jumping in and saying, OK, you've just broken the law there, Sonny, you know, for saying that. What, what we do tend to have is an approach where we have Human Rights Commission. You know, so things are considered, you know, you can appeal. You can appeal against what you regard as, a, as uh, unacceptable behaviour and it will be dealt with in a considered way. And I think that's, I think that's um, by people who are doing that all the time. You know, have a developed understanding of, of the issues and are, and are able to, con to consider the nuance. I think that's important. So, as I understand it in America, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, the First Amendment essentially means you can say whatever you like as long as you're not harming people physically and not inciting them to violence or, or you know, calling fire in a, um, in a, in a, in a crowded space. Um, so here... The, you were saying the we don't we don't have that, and we have we have a much more nuanced approach to um, to what can be said and what can't be said. Do you, can you just clarify? Well, I think, on I think America is a pretty good example of where um, an underlying principle, free speech, um, gets turned into something that is uh, uh, actually almost close to the reverse of what it's, of what it's meant to um, safeguard. And the best example in America that, that I know of is that the First Amendment was used by uh, super wealthy funders of uh, political parties to argue that it would be completely against their First Amendment rights to limit in any way the money they spend advocating for particular political parties. And that happened on the right. Um, the rest of us, or many of the rest of us in the world, would argue that actually if you reduce democracy to a contest of the moneyed, um, you are distorting democracy. 
everybody knows that if you've got more money, uh, you can use the sophisticated tools of advertising and social media and marketing uh, to be much more influential uh, than those who don't have that money. Mm. Um, there are exceptions, but on the whole, that's very, very true. Um, and, and therefore, for democracy to function well, you need to have some constraints about the way money can be spent in, in politics and the way it can be spent in elections. Yeah. To hide, to, to allow the vested interests, because the most moneyed are the people who do tend to closely correspond to the vested the interests in society, to allow them to simply spend their way through it in the name of free speech is, to my mind, a corruption of the ideal of free speech. Right. As I see that, I see that as, as a separate issue. I mean, yeah, but I, it, was, I, it was fought and won in the Supreme Court on that issue. Right. So you've got to accept it. Right. But, but nevertheless, um, essentially, the, the, um, you know, the power of people who have a lot of money is always going to be strong. But the, the, um, the free speech issue, is, to me, that is a completely different issue. It's actually the same issue. Mm-hmm. And it is, it, it, it is, that is the underlying issue in America uh, that has informed the whole debate about um, what you call deplatforming before, mm-hmm. uh, the whole debate about uh, who has opportunities to speak and be heard. Mm-hmm. You know, in America, as in this country, if you're like me, if you're a, a white man uh, and you're articulate, you know, it is easier for you to be heard. Um, I know this as having been an editor in the media for decades uh, and as a writer in the media now. Um, I know that it is easier to find white men who want to be heard, who, who, who believe they have something important to say uh, and would like to have an outlet to say it. The world is full of them. You know, it is actually harder to find other voices who have the time, the commitment, and the um, determination, this, plus that kind of sense of this is my right to do it, you know, it's harder to find those other voices. Um, so if you want to have a democratic debate, if you want to have society represented in your debates about who we are and where we're going and how and why, you know, you've actually got to work hard to make sure those other voices are included. It doesn't happen necessarily naturally. Those other voices might be heard in other forums, but they don't so easily get heard in the mainstream. So they don't so easily get heard in the media. They don't so easily get heard uh, in academic circles. Uh, they don't so easily get heard you know, where the big, uh, in, in, in parliament, in fact, or in, in governments. Um, and therefore, you've got, to, you've got to pay attention to that. And the arguments that have taken place around how can you deplatform, how can you... Um, how can you deny me my right to speech? Have almost always taken place in the context of we've heard from you for enough for long enough now. We want to hear from these other people. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with saying, um, actually, why should we continue to hear from Don Brash um, about um, what he thinks about race? Um, he hasn't changed his view in years. He doesn't listen to anybody. There are other voices we want to hear. Doesn't mean I think he should be banned. Doesn't mean I think he should be stopped. I debated with him. I debated with him on a university campus. Clearly, that shows that I don't believe he should be shut down. But I also don't think we should be falling over backwards and saying, gosh, um, he's he's a person we need to hear each time the issue comes up. So what did you think about that deplatforming and also the deplatforming? Well, I think Massey University made a mistake. And why? Well, well, because... um, 
you know, in lots of ways. One of them was he wasn't even going to talk about, he was going to talk about economic issues, you know, I mean, it was just, so there was a kind of knee-jerk they engaged in there. Um, and I think in the context of this country, um, what they actually did was um, turned him into a little bit of a martyr, which was unfortunate. Um, and, um, you know, if there's an organisation on... on um, on the Massey campus that wanted to invite him? Well, what's the problem with that? Don Brash is not a violent extremist. Don Brash is not inciting people to go out and kill. He's not a dangerous person in that way. Um, and he shouldn't be treated as such. Mm. Well, essentially, he's just like you and me and everyone else, isn't he? Um, no, he's much yeah. not. He's not like you and me and everyone right. else. He's much more powerful than you and me. He is. He is a go-to person in the media whenever this issue comes up, although he has an extreme position on it. Um, he has been the leader of two political parties and the governor of the Reserve Bank. He is a much more powerful and influential person in society uh, than you and me, um, and needs to be <laughs> needs to be regarded as such. Yeah. You know, the argument that. Um, Don Brash is, is the embodiment of why there isn't a problem with free speech or, or suppressing free speech in this country. Don Brash gets to say what he wants, when he wants, wherever he wants. Didn't get that at Massey University, and I think they were wrong about that, but that was the exception that proved the rule. Don Brash has every platform he could possibly want in, in, in New Zealand, and he uses them. Yeah. You know, we, New Zealand, like the world, is awash in free speech. There are people who think that that's not the case, but you can't, you can't escape wherever you go now. You can't escape all sorts of people telling us, telling you what they think. Yeah, it's the condition of life now. And you think that's a good thing? No, I think no. it's partly a good thing. I think it's partly a bad thing, like most things. <laughs> and that's the thing about democracy, you know. There's no... I don't see democracy in absolute terms. I see democracy as a as a uh, um, it's a project, um, and you know if you look at it historically, um, what an extraordinary thing the Greeks did to invent it um, and to 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 establish that idea that free men could come together with no hierarchy uh, and explicitly no sense of hierarchy you know, to debate ideas about how they would work as a society. That was an astonishing thing to do in the historic context of the king rules. You know, just remarkable. But of course, women weren't included. They had slaves. You know, it wasn't perfect democracy. It was from the start a work in progress. It was from the start a project that got developed and developed. Yeah. You know, you know, if you look at if you look at the way democracy consolidated itself in Britain you know, in the seventeenth century and then led through the nineteenth into the twentieth centuries, we had we had all sorts of you know, ways in which it served the property class. You know, it served men until the twentieth century when one couldn't vote. Um, Maori have had a difficult time in in the electoral system in this country until pretty recently. Um, there are so many ways in which democracy has evolved, and each time it evolves, it gets usually gets a bit better. Uh, I think MMP is a better way uh, you know, of serving uh, democratic ideas than first past the post. Um, and the question of free speech is in that context. How our understanding of free speech, if the if the purpose of free speech is to allow everybody to be heard, then 
you have to have free speech operating in a way that does allow everybody to be heard. It isn't just, I'm the big man now, so you have to listen to me. So you're saying there, um, there should be, for want of a better word, some sort of program to enhance the voice of people who, who don't have, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, as you put it, as, as Don Branch. I, I, I'm not sure I'm arguing for uh, programs to be imposed on society. Um, I think it's about sensibility. I think it's about our understanding of how things work. You know, I mean, I mentioned before in my own industry, it's incumbent on editors to not just turn to the nearest white man, middle middle class, middle aged white man who wants to be heard and say, "Okay, you do the column." You know, so much of that happens. Um, I'm a beneficiary of that. I know. You know, um, and one day. Someone will come along and say, we've had enough of you now. And I have to accept that. Um, but, um, you know, it, isn't, it is incumbent on editors to be looking more broadly. It is incumbent on teachers in the classroom to be ensuring that, it's, that the equivalent doesn't happen in a classroom. It's incumbent on all of us in society, in any position of authority, you know, to, to, to be doing what we can to ensure that, that the spectrum of voices is heard. And, you know, we, we, we're having this discussion a week after the horrific you know, shooting was in Christchurch. And there's a really good example. Uh, that, that, that is the context now, I guess, of how we talk about free speech in this country. Something happened in New Zealand that almost none of us could have, uh, would have thought could happen. You know, we didn't think that was our country. Turns out it is. Um, it's made... A whole lot of people, you know, my newspaper's just one of many, many, you know, say, okay, we, we actually do need to rethink you know, how we think about, uh, how we talk about Muslim, uh, the Muslim cultures in, in this country. And there's a report that's just been, uh, research analysis just been released you know, by Radio New Zealand researchers that shows that nearly always when Muslim, Islam or Muslim culture is referred to in the media, there's an, uh, it, it's in the context of violence or terror or something like that. It's not talked about in other ways. That's an extraordinary thing that we that we you know, find it necessary. We found it without even thinking about it. That's just how we've done it. You know, we need to change that. We need to change the conversation. And it's not that we need to start banning everybody who wants to say something different, but we do need to be aware of how we use our free speech. We do need to be aware of... of um, developing our conversations in ways that will strengthen democracy, make people feel safer in, in our society, you know, so that we're all safer. Do you think, um, you, you know, you've, you've in, this, in the same paragraph, you've um, used the word free speech and the, um, you know, the, the, this terrible massacre that happened in Christchurch, 50 people killed. Mm -hmm. Just can you elaborate on what that relationship is? How, right. Do you do you think there is a is a connection between the way people have spoken and and the outcome of you know someone going crazy with um, a gun? I, I uh, clearly um, I, I I'm not sure that you'd want to say that uh, because somebody um, made a hateful speech that somebody else went out with a gun and killed a lot of people. It's much much more complicated than that. Mm. Yeah, but. Focusing on free speech is, to my mind, nonsensically the wrong thing to be doing, especially now. I think that's, I think uh, that the, the idea that free speech is the big issue is just nonsense. You know, safety, 
cultural safety, physical safety, the safety of people in the streets from abuse, from violence, has suddenly become a whole lot more important. There will be people in this country now, unfortunately, who are going, I might have a bit of that, I might do a bit of that too. You know, that will, that, that's, that's, that's what happens in, in these things. There are copycats, there are people who feel inspired to do similar. And the guy who's alleged to have done this, you know, appears to have had a very sophisticated understanding of how to use his free speech uh, to motivate that, you know, in the way in which he used social media. You know, much more sophisticated than I understand. I don't know about you, but now um, it's, it, you know, it, it, the way in which he put together his, the way he uh, did the murders and the way in which he put together his manifesto and so on, you know, extraordinarily sophisticated and will reach far if he's allowed a platform. You know, so to my mind, he should be allowed as little a platform as possible because it will be so damaging, well, so dangerous. I mean, he breaks um, John Stuart Mill's harm principle in no end. So he doesn't actually have a right to have a, a voice but uh, let's, on that front. But let's step back. He arises... Can, can I just point out to the, the audience, because if there are any international listeners here, um, the, he was an Australian. Which is um, no, to, okay. You know, so to, to, I don't think that's really relevant. No, in, in some in some ways, it's you know the the terrible thing about such tragedy like this is, it, as you said, it's not how we see our country, um, and the fact that it, we I think we have to remember that it is someone who came in from outside of our community and did this. It's not one of our own. Came in now, from outside our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He would have talked to a lot of people. He was a member of a rifle club in Dunedin, um, which we're told by a former member of the SAS um, had a culture, pretty nasty culture going on uh, inside it. Um, in the name of it's a free country and he can say what he likes, I assume that man said a whole lot of things to people and they went, mm, either yes or don't really like that, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Yeah, we're not even thinking about it. should I do something about it? Probably as a result of this, we will all now be thinking there's somebody over there who's speaking in a way that someone needs to know about. Yeah, maybe we'll get better at that. I hope we do. Um, but, you know, in the context of what he did, to argue that there's a problem of free speech, the problem of free speech that we have is that it's really easy to say whatever you like to incite hatred, to get on to get on the internet and to build a sense of hatred to and diminishing the humanity of others in order to be able to feel okay about attacking them. It's really, really easy to do that. Really easy. You know, that's the problem with free speech that we have in the world. You know, is that and, is that free speech in itself or just a technological issue? Well, what's the difference? You know, you can get on the well, mountain and talk about free speech, but yeah. actually free speech in reality means why should Facebook live streaming you know, be... Why should it exist if it can't be shut down? Why Sorry, sh- say that. It, what do you mean by that? Well... He, the, the alleged shooter knew that by Facebook live streaming his attacks, 
even though they would be, when they were found, they would be stopped, enough other people would have picked them up and spread them that he, it, would, it would, as they say, go viral and it would be out there in the world. And what was it? One, one and a half million people looked at, the health, looked at the thing very, very quickly. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. That's free speech. That's what free speech is now. You know, free speech isn't an abstract idea. Free speech is what do people say and do in the name of, I have the technological and, and um, philosophical liberty to do these things, and what do we do about it? That's the issue we confront. Yes, but we, um, going back to John Stuart Mill, I mean, so John Stuart Mill essentially, as I understand it, said, you can say whatever you like as long as it doesn't incite violence or, or harm anyone. Um, so he breaches the, the harm yes, but, principle. Yes, okay, he breaches the and, harm and, principle. But don't you see that the issue is how do you stop people like him doing that? Okay, it, 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 the question it, it, is... Because, because yeah, the I, context of it is that yeah. there's a whole lot of people who are now arguing that you shouldn't because they have the right of free speech. Well, I think that the question is, can you stop someone like that? And, um, you know, there would be an argument for and an argument for, against. So one argument against stopping someone like that, you know, obviously it goes without saying we all want um, to stop anyone who wants to harm someone, um, no matter, how, you know, if it's one person or 50 people or more. Um, I mean, we want to stop terrorists. It was a terrorist attack. Um, so the question is, if you um, had a system where you could limit what someone like that's capacity to broadcast and all that sort of thing, would, would that have a diminishing effect? Well, would well, he have not the, the done issue, it? The issue here is Facebook live streaming is a technological device that allows hate and incitements to violence and any other really easily identifiable um, horrific expressions of free speech to exist uh, and nothing can be done about it. It actually can't be stopped. So the question arises, should that technology be allowed? Should we just ban that? Because, okay, it's used for lots of other good purposes, but its bad purpose uh, is so dangerous to us as a society yeah, that maybe we need but to... The, the know, same, the same argument goes with any technology, with guns, with knives, well, with That's hammers. why I'm going to ban automatic, um, yeah. um, military-style automatic mm -hmm. weapons, for exactly that reason. But it's, it's, it is... Um, and you, you can know, argue it's, that... It's, it's the, it, it is a sort of a, a question, you know, as technology um, moves forward, we're always going to be surprised. There are going to be moments yeah. like this where so, none of us, you and I, wouldn't have woken up and thought we there would someone we, would have we, it in their mind. We may always be playing catch up with technology. Yeah. It doesn't mean we shouldn't play catch up. It doesn't mean we shouldn't mm -hmm. be taking the view that says is that is does this the existence of this thing in our society is it more does it do more harm than good? Mm -hmm. yeah. Does I mean, the harm it do, does outweigh the good it does mm -hmm. in any to, so, to a I mean, significant way? Sort of. Um, more the internet is a convenience, you know, and, and it's liberating in lots of ways, yeah. but it's a convenience. But, you know, libertarians would argue that, you know, you've got to let things just evolve and happen, and there will be good things and there will be bad things. Um, 
what's the opposite of a libertarian? Okay. More, more, uh, the, 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 the opposite other of a libertarian is a responsible democrat. Yeah, okay, and, responsible and, democrat. And, and I would argue, argue that in all parts of society, mm-hmm. the history of the 20th century, particularly after the Second World War, um, has been the history of people grappling with how do we control technology. You can't abolish nuclear weapons. It's not possible because they're invent- they're reinventable. You know, there's always going to be people who can make a new one. Yeah. But how do we control them? Yeah. There are different arguments, different arguments about how you control them. One argument, obvious argument, the prevailing one, has been um, actually you have a nuclear non-proliferation treaty and you lock in this, the, the power involved in nuclear weapons to you know, recognisable states and they can diplome their way through the whole process. That's the argument that says you know, we're mutually assured destruction is too horrible to contemplate, so it's not likely to happen, and therefore the state right, is and, unless, unless you don't mind c- c- being blown up. Uh, well, no, <laughs> so, argue, that is an argument that, that's, so that's the, how we're su- not going to be blown suicide, up. The suicide, the yeah, suicide approach. That, that argument is that that's, and we're not going to be blown up, you know. Well, um, no. But yeah. another argument is actually we've got to get rid of them. Um, even though people might reinvent them, we've still got to get rid of them. We've still got to just try and eliminate them. And between those two extremes, there's a whole range of qualifications mm-hmm. and different positions. But we don't ignore it. We say this technology, which we actually know is fiendishly difficult to control, we've got to do our best to control it. We've actually got to devote the resources we can that we have to doing our best to control it, because if we don't, we will all die. Mm -hmm. That's an approach we have to take to communication technology. That's the new technology of terror in the world. We know that from ISIS. We know that from this guy. That's what's happening in the world now. Yeah, I think the... the, the Communications technology isn't separable from free speech. It is the mechanism of free speech today. Yeah, well, it's it's like I mean, it's it's, it's like anything. If 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 you all you've got is your voice, all you've got is your voice. If you've got a loud hailer, you've got a loud hailer. If you've got the internet, you've got the internet. So it's just a, a function of technological process and where you, where you are and your capabilities of using it. See, I see that as um, I see that as tech technology, and I see free speech as something different. So I can sit in my room and say whatever I like, or I could go outside and say whatever I like, or I could go down into the public square and say whatever I like, or I could get onto Facebook and live stream, or I could even start a, or, 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 or I could start a podcast, which, which is what I've done. So um, the, the way I see it, and please you know, correct me if you think I'm wrong, um, the, the, there's more benefit in having free, pure, you know, pure free speech, letting everyone say exactly what they want to say. There's always going to be people who say really, really nasty things. Um, and obviously, you know, anyone who crosses the harm principle, you know, for example, this, this, this accused gunman, um, obviously they're not part of the equation. They're, they're out of the conversation. Um, but in terms of what can be said, I view you can say anything. Well, Tell me what's wrong with I, that. I've already told you what's wrong mm. with that. I'm not going to go around in circles repeating mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's an abstract notion, um, and I think it's grounded in a position of privilege. What if I'm not privileged? But you are. No, but what if I'm not? The argument that actually we should all be allowed to say what we like 
which mm. is what you just put forward, mm. is almost always put forward by people of privilege. But, it, okay, because so it serves their that, interest. That, it, it was yeah. classically formulated by Voltaire. Mm. I may hate what you're um, saying, but I will defend yeah. to the death you're right to yes, say. Yes. Voltaire said that in the context. Voltaire wasn't a progressive. Voltaire was a conservative property owner who was interested in the defence of property rights of the landowning class in France in relation to royalty. His argument wasn't couched as a let's have the masses rise up and let's have proper democracy for everybody. His argument was couched in the context of property owners need to be able to defend their property rights. That's what he was, that's the context of it. He did a lot of good things, of course he did. And it, it's a principle, I defend to the death your right to say it, is a principle that should inform our democracy and it should inform our sense of what free speech is. But it shouldn't govern it, it shouldn't rule it. Because we know now that free speech gets horrifically abused. And we know ta- now, we ta- ta- well, ta- I've given you that. That's, example, that, 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 that's yeah. right. And we know now that what is... Sorry, can I just... That, no, let me finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know that... In the larger context that we exist now, politically, there is a large group of people in the world who use the debate about free speech to mask, to screen, incredibly objectionable views about women, about people of colour, about a range of of others, people they've defined as other, who they think are destroying the way of life that they hold valuable. And that tends to be the way of life of men, and of white men in particular. And that is the context of the debate in which free speech has become an issue. It's not the oppressive forces of the state um, trampling on little people who, you know, it's not like China and the man standing in front of the tank in 1979 and... uh, democracy wall and all of that. That's not the context in which we're debating this. The context in which we're debating this is men feeling outraged that women get to do some things that they thought should be done by them. White people getting outraged that we are taking people of colour more seriously. Reactionary fundamentalist Christians getting outraged that other religions are taken more seriously. That's the context in which this is happening. It isn't abstract. It is socially, it is societally based, uh, and it has at its extreme. I don't think everybody who thinks all those things is an extremist by any means. The extreme is small, but at the extreme of this, shielded by the others, are the people who are committing horrific acts. And we see those things in America. 73% of terrorist deaths in America since 2001 have been committed by right-wing extremists. We see that in America. We've just seen it in this country as well. It's a terrible tragedy. And the context of, oh, our big problem in democracy is free speech has allowed us to look away from much bigger problems to do with racism and sexism and the idea that some people don't have the human rights to safety and security that we would want for ourselves. That's the much bigger issue. Right. So um, I don't see them as mutually exclusive. So, and and also just the... So, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
the way you're describing it is um, someone's free speech is tied to their identity and their their sort of socioeconomic position in society. See, I I I think you're reducing what I'm saying. Right. Well, well, that's well, correct. Uh, Yeah. yeah. I'm saying that the the idea that free speech is under attack in the world has been produced in defence of a particular uh, worldview that feels threatened. In fact, in fact, on the whole, the 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 worldview of if there is a single worldview, but the status of the socio-economic status of of white men in the world is as strong as it ever was. It hasn't actually been much dented. We do still tend to rule the world. That's how it works. But I'm, a, you know, unfortunately, I'm a white male. I'd love to have a little bit more melanin in my skin. Um, how does that affect me? I mean, I'm a music teacher. Um all those sorts of things. And I find it, uh, you know, the reason I started this podcast was um, there was the deplatforming of both Don Brash and um, the two Canadian okay. right wing. See, this yeah. deplatforming is just a word. It's a word that's used uh, by the what? right, it's a word that's used by, by far right people mm. you know, to argue that their rights are being trampled. Well, can you give me another do, word, do, a better do, word? Do you, know, do you know that Lauren Southern, who's one of the people mm. you're talking about, mm. you know. She wrote her manifesto has the same name as the manifesto of the uh, alleged government in Christchurch, mm. uh, and they both echo. Just uh, can I can I just point out? I'm not saying I support these people. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, you're not. Yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely sure yeah, you're yeah. not. But, but can, can, can I know, just I'll what happened? What happened in New Zealand was a couple of racist, sexist, nasty people mm. wanted to use council property to preach that bile, mm. and the council said, "Well, actually, no, that's not who we are." Right. Fine with that. Okay. Don't think they should have been barred entry, and they weren't barred entry. They were right. allowed into this country. No. Yeah, but council representing a diverse range of people in Auckland, standing for tolerance, really good. Yeah. Right. So, but just going back to my point. Think platforming is a nonsense thing to say. Okay. Well, uh, if I'm, people like that yeah. can't find outlets for their bile, that's good. It's good. Right. Nobody's saying they. Nobody's. Nobody's stopping them speaking. But actually, if they can't find people to help them do it, that's a really good thing about society. Right. Really good thing. So, going back to my point of um, about free speech, you know, um, and to use your term, it's not a term I'm enamoured with. But you know, white male. Um, I'm a white male. I'm not a highly powerful person or anything. I'm wanting to start a. a a podcast about free speech because free speech fascinates me. I'm the sort of person who likes to speak what's on my mind, and I've noticed that um, and it's quite been quite interesting. I've had sort of a um, an evolution in the way I think, and and in a sense, it's moved it's away from the, the milieu that I'm in, and it's very interesting in a sense, just on a private level. I, there are some things I'm allowed to say and there are some things I'm not allowed to say. And that's, that's a function of, of um, you know, sort of, in a sense, groupthink. So that, that fascinates me on a personal level. Um, but on, on a wider level, I'm still, I'm still yet to be convinced, and we'll, obviously we're going to not, not convince each other, but that, that's fine. But I'm still yet to be convinced what, why, 
the, um, you know, why not, you know, having pure speech, free speech okay. can't, can't you're, be allowed. You're, you're, when you say and, something and, and you're allowed to say and, and not allowed to say, I assume you're talking, you're not allowed to make, you're not allowed to make racist jokes, so. Well, no, I wouldn't. Okay. I wouldn't yeah. make a racist okay. joke. Okay, but but, but, but no, when you say not allowed to, it's not that there's a law. It's just no, that, it's just that you that, feel socially social pressure. That, 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 that's, and that's my my point is that this, this, this isn't changed. It's changed about what it is I, I in agree. the context. I agree. You well, know, you know what the do you know what the hundred years ago does. you weren't allowed to say rude things about teachers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you weren't allowed to, to, to blaspheme. But, I mean, do you, you know the Overton Overton window? Yes, I do. The Overton window has shifted. Exactly. In this. And, of course it has, because society changes. But don't, don't see, my, I suppose my position would be the Overton window should be as large as possible. Because I see any constrictor. Should we just describe what the Overton window is? Um, do you want to do it? Well, the Overton window is, is, a, is, is a generally socially recognised um, boundary, a frame. Things inside the Overton window, what you can discuss and debate, yeah. and the ideas you can put. So in homosexuality is a, is a perfect it, example. It, Fifty good. years ago, it, it, you know, I, I couldn't no, say, "Look, yes. my friend Jim um, is marrying, you know, yes. marrying Peter or whatever," mm. you know. Um, but now, I mean, yes. you know, last year I went yeah. to the the wedding yeah. of my niece and her her wife. It used to be the stock and trade of comedians to make sexist jokes, particularly yeah. about their wife and their yeah. mother-in-law. Yeah. You know. Very few do that now. It's yeah. moved out of the Overton window. Yes, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. So it's but, sort of the zeitgeist. But it's good. It's good. Well, yeah, but the so Overton window reflects in current society. The Overton window reflects that we are more respectful of each other than we yeah. used to be, and in particular, it reflects that we are more respectful of people who have had less power. And the example I just used of comedians used to make sexist jokes. If the equivalent had happened, if women had been getting up and saying the same equivalent sorts of abusive things about their fathers-in-law and their husbands, all hell would have broken loose. But it was deemed perfectly acceptable for men to say those things about women. That's what was objected to, and that's why it's changed. It's not that everybody's allowed now to abuse each other. That isn't what the Overton Window's created. It's gone, actually, we've tried to level it up We've tried to make, we've tried to level it up on the basis of respect and decency, because there is a feeling in society that we lack sufficient respect and decency, and it isn't going to come from allowing everybody to abuse each other. It's going to come from developing a sense that abuse is inappropriate, that um, belittling people, humiliating them, is inappropriate. You don't need to do it through laws, and I'm not advocating for laws to do it. But in the general sense of how what society feels is appropriate, if we can, the more we can move away from it's okay to humiliate other people, you know, to diminish them, to disrespect them, you know, the stronger we become. The less likely it is that people like that shooter in Christchurch can think that he's right. The less likely he can think people like that can think that society supports them because demonstrably it's not true. Um, I mean, I've got, you know, uh, one thing I don't want to do is, is the whole thing to be about the shooter in Christchurch because, you know, it's... It's, it's hard it's, not to talk about him because yeah. he throws everything into, you know, who, but, who are we, but, what do we value, what's important, why are we talking about... But I don't about? think... I don't, I th- I don't think um, anyone 
is saying we value anything that he he establishes no, as important. You know, I mean, there will always be one or two neo Nazis. Yeah, yeah. There was, well, there's more you than know. one or two, but they're not a lot. There's a, you, it's a small you, number. Figuratively, one yeah, or two. Yes, yes. Right. Um, I mean, but but I just my point on that is, you know, how do you explain Aramoana? Um, so just again for the international listeners, Aramoana in a very tiny, the smallest little, um, not even a town in in the South Island, in the 80s, I think. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, 1990, maybe? Yeah. Uh, a guy let loose with a gun and killed 13 people. Um, and then it's Port Arthur in Australia, I think mm-hmm. it was Port Arthur, 45 from mm-hmm. memory. Yeah. Um, that, and, and those two individuals, um, again, I don't know any particular details about them, but I imagine it's a mental health issue yeah. just as much as anything. Um, and um, I really question whether, you know, obviously this guy in Christchurch, you know, he's shrouded in, in all these terrible, terrible ideologies which have led him to go and do them. But um, you've got to remember that there's lots of people in the world with terrible, terrible ideologies and they don't wake up in the morning and kill 50 people um, every day. So I really wonder how much of that is an, a mental health issue as well. Yeah. It may not be, it may not be, but I would, I would I'd be, if I was a betting man, I'd bet money on that. We don't, yeah. we don't, we don't, we don't know, of course. Yeah. Um, what we do know is from the alleged shooter in Christchurch himself, from his manifesto, what we do know is that he was closely hooked into extreme right chat rooms, uh, extreme right platforms on the internet, um, and understood the language and knew how to use it um, in very, very sophisticated ways. And whether whether it's going to be revealed that he has a mental health issue or not, we, we don't know. But we do know that he was uh, part of a much bigger world uh, of hate. Mm. And you're right, not everybody who's part of that world gets up and shoots people. No. But some do. But you don't actually need that many. (laughs) That's the sad thing about it. You don't need that many. And and the rights of the rest of them seem to me to be rather less important than the rights of the victims that we ought to be trying well, I suppose I suppose my argument is really based on we don't we have no idea where the good ideas are going to come from so yeah. so you know it's, we can't we can't wake up in the morning and say Jim's got a good idea Bob's got a terrible idea and Jemima is like she's sort of somewhere in between okay so where any constraints on freedom of speech will do an aggregate limitation on all Ideas, both good and bad, and the, the guy, yes. the guy in the middle. Yes, and, it's, it's and, a, and, it's an interesting theory there. Yeah. Um, and and I, think, I, I think it's a strong one too. Yeah, yeah, it's a strong one in relation to free speech. The the, the free flow of ideas is um, fundamental to the development of, of capitalism, of society, of um, economic and social and cultural progress. Mm. Uh, because we don't know where the good ideas come from, and the clash of clash of ideas produces progress. Yeah. That's a fundamental view of the Enlightenment. Yeah. Yeah. The Enlightenment itself, of course, used to hang, draw and quarter people who didn't agree with certain things, but we'll leave that aside. You know, uh, because no one's perfect. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, there are, I think, t- at least two quite interesting ways in which that can be challenged. And one of them is, how do you explain China? China has not had a free flow of ideas since 1949. 
Um, and China, in its modern manifestation, clearly has made enormous economic progress. You can't deny that. But I'm not. But, I'm but, not but, equating but, free speech okay. with, with but, you know, ultimate okay. capitalism. Right. Okay. Okay. But ideas. the theory that you need free speech for the betterment of society—that we will, society will progress—and that's always been tied up with economic progress. China throws the gauntlet down to that. I'm not saying that China shows it's wrong, because it's not a lot that I admire about China, frankly, in terms of its political system. Yeah, but it does throw it does throw a gauntlet down to that classic. Well, that, uh, the the, the other the argument would be one. how much better could China be? We don't. We've it actually got no. We've got no be, counterfactual but, there. But you, well, counterfactual. You you might want to argue the counterfactual is some some of the countries of Africa. Um, the counterfactual is India, obviously, um, which is deeply corrupt. Deeply, deeply corrupt in its politics and economic and structure. Not. China is corrupt, but um, very, no, very no more corrupt. so. Possibly very, less so now. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. Um, how to how to evaluate that? Uh, Nigeria, uh, another enormous country, which yeah. Um, I, but I, the I, second argument yeah. is, if we really believe that the free and frank exchange of ideas and encouraging people to think and think independently, think for themselves, speak in that way. If we really believe that as a society, we'd have a different education system than the one we have now. We wouldn't be calling the schools that encourage conformity our elite schools. We wouldn't be rewarding the idea that if you go to those so-called top schools in this country, then you're going to become the best kind of citizen. Yeah, which is effectively what we do, because those schools produce extremely conformist thinkers. Yeah, they challenge but them intellectually in lots of but ways. That isn't, this but this is my argument for free, free speech. I mean, there, there, there's going to be conformity because humans are... That's what humans do. They conform to a set of ideas. Um, and so the argument of free speech is that that, that is a way of breaking down sort of any, any wrong think in the, in the sense of thinking that is um, you know, I'll tell, tell you what it boils down to. But, but yeah. can I... Can yeah, no, let me yeah, tell yeah, you what it boils yeah. down to, because... Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Yeah. to my mind, it boils down to this. One day before the first week anniversary of the shooting of 50 people in Christchurch mosques, a man stood on the street outside one of those mosques wearing a Nazi T-shirt. I'm going to assume he himself is not going to shoot anyone. I make that assumption because I'm a generous, kind-hearted soul and I think he's probably not as bad as the shooter. Yeah. Let's assume that. But he was expressing, he was using his right to free speech to make the most egregious, offensive, horrible, really shocking statement that you can imagine. And this, the police said they didn't think they had the power to stop him. I mean, I thought that was a shame. I thought they should have been able to arrest him for um, inciting uh, something. Inciting violence. Frankly. Again, I mean, that's, well, that's straight out of John Stuart Mill. Well, what, was it? Yeah, straight was out it? of John Stuart Mill. Was it? John, John Stuart Mill, he says... I think there's two, yeah, things, there's he, two things about yeah, that, though. Yeah. yeah. There's two things. One is the police did not think they had a clear legal ability to stop him doing that, to, to remove him. So that tells you that free speech has a very strong upper hand in this country. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. The second thing is, 
He sh to my mind, he shouldn't have been allowed to, and I think you're saying the same, that he breaches the, the, the mill principle, yeah. you know, and therefore he shouldn't have been allowed to. If we're going to get stuck debating free speech, let's just remember that guy in the Nazi T-shirt, because he represents what, free, what this is really about. He's a member of that right-wing extremist world, clearly. Um, let's not be in any doubt about who the Nazis were. You know, we know what that T-shirt stands for. We know what it says to those people who want to pray. We know really clearly what it says. There's no equivocation there. So we've got to be better than that. We've got to recognise. he. To me, the challenge he threw down was, let's stop talking about free speech. Let's start talking about the safety of the people who want to pray. Let's be the people who will safeguard those who want to pray in peace. The, the, the real question is, how is that manifested? So if, if you were the cop, you would have arrested him? I th well, I would like to think there was a law that said I could. Or, or, I I don't, I'm not familiar enough with the law no, to know what... No, I wouldn't, yeah. I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know, yeah. But I, would I, like I will be getting a lawyer on this podcast to, to find out these <laughs> things, so yeah. that'll be good. Um, but to me, that's what it boils down to. Let's stop talking about free speech. Let's start talking about cult, about safety. That's what, you, that's what you think. Our democracy will be strong. The, 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 the key issue to strengthen our democracy now is not to bang on about free speech. The key issue is to go, well, how do we make everybody living here feel safe? Right. Hmm. Just one more thing before we finish. All those um, positive aspects to our, our culture that, that have you know, evolved, occurred, um, that you were talking about, um, you know, women's rights and the fact we don't make racist jokes and all those sorts of things. Is that not a result of people oh, using free, free speech? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. without that, let's, let's go back in time. Um, let's say we constricted free speech. I'm not saying you... Well, you fact, I'm not, I'm not free saying free speech was constricted. Yeah, a lot yeah. of those people got locked up. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying you <laughs> are saying free speech could... Be constricted. This is not. I'm not saying this is your argument. But if we go back in time and we say all these sort of enlightenment um, progresses that we've we've made, and if that was shut down because those people didn't have free speech, yeah, but nobody's. No, that's not the alternative. Free free speech exists. But what what I'm you saying know, what I'm saying is again going back to my point. Any limitation on free speech, um, apart from the harm principle, right, that's a given. Okay. Um, is, again, we don't know where the good ideas are going to come from and we don't know who's going to have them and when they're going to occur. And also, we don't want to, as I see it, we don't want to encourage a, um, what I said is the sort of the, the worst thing for a society is self-censoring. I don't, well, at, you see, I culture, think that's, yeah. just a, you, that's just the privileged you talking there. I don't think there's any evidence at all that we are, there is going to be some kind of limitation on free speech that will harm society. I don't think, I don't think that happens, mm. you know, and I don't see how it could happen, and particularly in this modern technological world. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you, Michael.